ก็กครับสัตย We've just been chanting, developing the recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and how these are the highest refuges that we have. So we may already have some refuges in our lives, but <clears throat> they're not the highest. The Buddha, <clears throat> the Dhamma, the Sangha, these are our highest refuge. They're able to take us to freedom from suffering for real. If we practice following the teachings of the Buddha, this way of sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, and this is a noble wealth of us. So we may have wealth in this world, and some people have great amounts of wealth. But none of that, no matter how much or little it may be, is able to free our minds from suffering. But it's listening to the Dhamma, reciting verses of Dhamma, contemplating the Dhamma, it's able to give rise to this wealth and this wisdom that can lead us to understanding, lead us to knowledge. Of the correct way of practice. So, having known that, we need to put in our efforts and persist with it, because there can be a lot of deluded delight in this world, and that just pulls us in, into craving, into clinging. We get delighted, delighted now here, now there. And before we know it, one day has passed, and then a week, then a month, and then a year, and many years. If there's happiness that comes up, and we just get delighted in that happiness. But as practitioners, when we experience happiness, then we tell ourselves this changes. This is not sure. We tell ourselves that we have suffering awaiting us in the future. Even though now our bodies may be healthy and strong, we may be able to ride a bicycle for many hundreds of kilometers, but that's not sure. We just don't know when illness is going to find us. And Venerable Ajahn Chah he gave a comparison to this, something that's really worth listening to and contemplating. He said it's like we're leaning on a rotten stump. And so, how long are we going to be able to lean against that before it snaps? We just don't know. Or maybe we're in a high place and we're leaning on a railing, but that railing is unstable and rotten. And so, when that crumbles, then we tumble down, and we may die or become disabled. So we see that we just can't depend upon these things. These five khandas that we rely upon—how long are we going to be able to depend on them for? Before they change, before they deteriorate, before they become ill. And when that happens, there's a great amount of pain and suffering. 
So in the suttas, it says, Roka Nitang, that this body is a nest of illness. And all illnesses reside right here, they arise right here. And that still happens in this present day and age. That even though we've passed the time of the Buddha now, 2,565 years, still there are new illnesses that come up. And the scientists just can't keep up with them. They're not able, in many cases, to uh, create new medicine in time. So like with the world heating up, and ice is melting, and there are sicknesses, illnesses that are coming up, and the weather changes like this. And so these illnesses, all these various illnesses, they reside within this body, they come up within this nest of sickness right here. This body that the mind depends upon, that has attachment to, it's a nest of illness. So when we have this form, then we'll also have the mental factors as well, of feeling, perception, uh, mental fabrications and sense consciousness. But having this highest refuge, uh, this sarana, it's something that's able to fix that suffering. But we need to practice in line with it as well. We can't just plea, we can't just pray for our illness or for our suffering to disappear. We can't just plea for that to go away, that won't work. We need to practice following as well. Even though the Buddha has passed into total Nibbana already, but he taught us that he is still here, that he is residing within the Dhamma. And so if we see the Dhamma, if we gain a clear understanding into that, then we see the Buddha. And we know for ourselves that, ah, oh, it really is like this. And the Buddha taught this path of sila, samadhi, and panya, and we walk that, and then we know for ourselves that having walked, then wisdom arises like this. Our faith becomes firm, solid. No matter what people say, that won't shake us because we've seen clearly for ourselves. People claim that the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, they don't exist, but we don't believe them because we've seen clearly, because we've seen the Dhamma. So we need effort, though. We need to practice. Even though it's hard, it's arduous, we need to set our hearts on this, on chanting, on meditating. And some people, they can chant and just chant and they don't get bored of that. They can do the morning chanting, the evening chanting consistently. For some lay people, they can sit in meditation for many hours in one day. And they're really intent in this way. They've got this sincerity in their hearts, seeing the value of samadhi. Because when this comes up, when there's this peace within our minds, then we see just how cool both the body and the heart can be. The mind drops into calm, the body becomes very light. And it's even more so when wisdom arises. And we see physical and mental things as being anicca, dukkha anatta, as changing, stressful and not self. And the mind becomes empty. And here we truly see the benefits of the practice.
But initially, maybe when we close our eyes, then we just see our minds spinning out of control. It's like they're burning with fire. And we just didn't know that that's what they were like before. We never really observed ourselves before. We'd never really seen our own minds before. It's how there's this heat within the mind. It's uh, flow, it's current, it's hot. And so we start to see the drawbacks of that, of this heat, of this chaos. And that's what leads us to practice. And then we practice with generosity and virtue is our foundation of goodness. So we're generous, we compose our acts of body and speech well within the bounds of the precepts. And even though perhaps samadhi just isn't there, our mindfulness isn't good, but we can make our sila good. We can care for our precepts well, being really sincere on that. For the monks, you can try to keep the korwad, and the standards of the monastery and the schedule well, being firm in our sila, being really composed and cautious. When we do this, then this will develop into samadhi. So may we all follow up on our minds, observing them, knowing what they're doing. And whoever looks after their minds will be freed from Mara's snare, which is this trap of suffering. But to free ourselves from that, that requires our effort, that requires training. If the mind's thinking a lot, if it's really scattered, chaotic, we tell ourselves, this isn't sure this will change. And sometimes the emotions can just be too much. It feels like we're not able to take it anymore. And we cling to all of these moods. But we endure at that point, we forbear. And we don't act out of that, we don't speak out of that. If there's a lot of liking or lust, then we can contemplate to a suba, it's an attractive nature of bodies. If there is aversion, then we can develop metta, this heart of kindness. And we look after our minds so they don't fall into liking or disliking. If the mind's very scattered, then we can chant a lot. If it's restless, then chant, following up, observing our minds. When we do this, then they will come into peace. During the course of the day, we've got a lot of time. So we should try to be mindful during that time. So we can see that if we just abandon our mindfulness throughout the day, and then we come to sit in the evening just the one time, then there's not going to be any peace. If we feel exhausted, then it's better to rest first. Then we wake up in the morning, and the weather is very good, and sit in meditation during that time. And when we do that, um, then the mind should settle. We see that these days people can have not very much kanti, just a little bit of endurance. So we need to be careful. And sometimes 
There can just be small arguments that explode, and people can harm one another. In some countries, they can quarrel with each other for hours, but they don't do any damage, they don't harm one another. They don't do anything that's against the law, because by the law it's okay to argue, but it's not okay to fight. But these days things are changing, and people don't have much forbearance. So we need to be cautious around um, the sila, because in societies that we live in, there are many people who don't have sila, who aren't interested in keeping these precepts, and just get a bit angry, and then they're able to do damage to one another, to hit, to stab, even to kill one another. So we need to be very careful, need to be cautious, need to have effort into keeping our sila. So when we have this virtue, um, and we're trying to train our minds, then if anyone kind of argues, if anyone does anything we don't like, then we have metta, it's loving kindness, and we give our forgiveness to each other. We don't shout, we don't quarrel. Because if there are people who don't have this quality of virtue, especially so if they're drunk and their mindfulness just isn't there, then it's easy for them to slip up. So we should maintain our mindfulness and keep that good, keeping our virtue, having forbearance with all of these moods and sense impressions we may meet with. And when our mindfulness is good and wisdom is good, then it's not hard. If there's liking or disliking, we can let go of that easily. We can forgive one another easily. We can put things down. We can abandon our attachments easily. But if we don't have these things, like if samadhi is not there, then what's that like? All of these sense impressions just flow into the heart. And here, it's really difficult. The mind goes into liking, then it goes into disliking, and it's chaotic and full of suffering. So initially, we just need to accept that that's how it is. That's what it's like right now. That we have these things. We have liking towards sights and sounds and tastes, odors, tactile sensations and thoughts. There's liking, there's disliking there. And we've had this liking and disliking for many, many lifetimes already. So if we want to just practice a little bit and let go of all of these things, well, that's just not going to happen. It takes time. But we know already, we know this path of practice already. We have this faith already. So we should set our hearts on this, and if we do that, and then in no long time the sila, samadhi and panya will gather together and we'll see the Dhamma. And if we see that really clearly, we may attain to the Dhamma, that's possible. But in the beginning, forbear, have a lot of self-restraint, and may you set your heart on this.